Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Shep Heiken. He's the Chief Amazement Officer at Shepherd Presentations. All right, Chef, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show again. Well, it is my pleasure. And I like, I mean, if you said, hey, are you going to come back? I would have said, I'll be back. And here I am. <laughs> and, and that's so fitting because of all the episodes we've done, we've never had anyone back. Wow, and, I know, am honored. When, <laughs> when Cindy uh, reached out, I thought, oh, I need to get Chef back. We love customer service, customer experience, and you're, you're the guy. So uh, I'm excited to, to hear what you've been up to and, and, and what this book is all about. Well, thank you. So the new book is titled, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. And isn't that what we want? And it doesn't matter what type of business we're in. And we may call them clients. In the hotel business, they call them guests, restaurants. In uh, retirement homes, they call them residents. You know, so it doesn't matter what you call them. And it doesn't matter if you're B2B, B2C. I think that the focus on getting customers to come back and become your evangelist, not just come back, but talk about you. Why not? In a good way, by the way. <laughs> we don't want, we're not interested. Well, we are interested if they're unhappy and making them happy, but we, that's, you know what I'm trying to say. And by the way, the new book, very excited about it. It is out September 21st. Great day. So anybody that doesn't have it, you need it. You need your customers to come back again and again. Yeah, for sure. Now, everyone says they want customers again and again, but where's the gap, right? You know, everyone says it. They're not achieving it. Where's the gap? So the gap is in the fact that two things. Um, number one, many times leadership thinks their customers are loving them, that we give great service, we create an amazing experience. And then you go talk to your customers and find out, yeah, there's this gap between what they think and what the company thinks. And you want to narrow that gap. And if anything, the beautiful thing would be to be B2B, <laughs> would be to cross over and, and had to go the other direction where we think we're doing a great job. And we are because they think we're even better than we provide. Mm. And that is why I, I talk about creating amazement. And I've talked about this in virtually every book, the foundational concepts, which are in this book, as well as every book I've written have to do with managing every interaction. Now, uh, several books ago, I started talking about the concept of amazement, just not great service. And amazement isn't over the top, blow me away. The amazing companies are predictably and consistently doing what their customers expect them to do. And my goal would be, you know, you hear the old phrase, under promise, over deliver. Well, that's what we want. But really what we want is, I mean, that sounds great. And really what that means is they always call me back when they say they're going to call me back. They always call me back quickly. They always are knowledgeable when I have questions, they get me to the right person. They always, even when there's a problem, help me get through it and resolve it. And that word always followed by something positive puts you in that level of amazement. And, and by the way, a true over-the-top program, problems are resolved are ones that fall in your lap once in a while. It's the day-to-day -day interactions that manage 
basic expectations to get customers to say they're amazing. That's why they love doing business with you. And we have lots of information that show that price becomes less relevant, not irrelevant. I have a buddy of mine that feels that if you deliver service, companies will pay you even more and there's no regard for the price. Eh, Not true, unless they're the only ones in town that are providing a level of service and commitment. But lots of companies out there are providing good service experiences. You need to be doing so much. And by the way, they may be as good, but if you can get in the door and you don't let them down, they're not going to leave. You become less sensitive to price because they know that it's worth not having the problems of changing and taking a chance on someone else, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously leadership can talk to customers more often, but how else would leadership or other people in the organization understand if they're kind of following through on that always? Because, you know, surveys and stuff, they only do so much. Right. And actually, there's a chapter in the book devoted to the most important measurement. And first of all, everybody measures were you happy? On a scale of one to 10, did we do a good job? A scale of zero to 10, would your likelihood to recommend the net promoter score? All of these are great, important stats, but what they teach you is history. Now, history does repeat itself, and you can tell a lot by looking at history as to how you're doing and how customers are going to behave. But the stat that I want you to pay attention to is retention. Does the customer come back? And when they do come back, what are their behaviors versus those that are once in a great while sales or a one-time sale? And it's not even that a customer might not have been happy with you. It's just you didn't give them the incentive enough to make sure that the next time they do business with you or they need what it is that, that you sell, that they do business with you instead of a competitor. And when I say you didn't give them the incentive, it's in the experience, not the incentive of like giving them some type of reward for coming back other than they just know what they're going to expect and they love it. Yeah. So now that you know that there is a a gap to, to fill and you need to improve that, I know you talk a lot about baking this into your organization. How do you do that? So it's cultural. And there's a place in the book in a chapter that focuses on creating that culture. And Really, customer service and experience shouldn't be a department or just the strategy. It needs to be baked into it. And and I can go through the steps if you want me to. I actually have to look at the book because I added an extra step in the book that I don't normally talk about, but there was a piece in there that just felt it was more applicable to this idea of, of, you know, the I'll be back concept. But the gist of it is it's cultural, which means every person in the organization has to understand their role as it applies to the experience. And the best way I can describe it is if you've got somebody in the warehouse that is pulling things off a shelf and putting them in a box and packing them up, they never experience contact with the customer. Yet they have a real important role in the overall experience because if they pack it wrong and it gets damaged when they get to, when it arrives and is opened up and and the customer says, oh my gosh, they didn't even put bubble wrap around it or they didn't pack it in such a way it arrives damaged. Guess who's responsible for that? It comes back to the company, but it's that person in the warehouse that never has any contact with the customer. I mean, think about, I don't know when the last time you took a plane anywhere. I mean, some of us are are now flying again, but if you had to check your bags, 
there's a person down below who looks at your bag, the tag on the bag, scans it and puts it on the right cart, which gets out to the airplane. If that person puts it on the wrong cart and it goes to the wrong airplane, they've let you down. They never see the upset look on your face when you're standing there at the baggage carousel watching all the bags get picked up, but yours hasn't shown up yet, right? So by everybody understanding their role and understanding how they support internally each other as well as externally the customer, that's culture. That's not a customer service department, if you will. You know, that's, mm. that's where it's baked into the culture. Yeah, it's just visualizing, you know, I guess some companies kind of switch people's roles for a bit, you know, just kind of pop in on different departments or interact with the customer. Is that one way to, to close that gap? Yeah. So one way, if you want people to truly understand how what's going on, and depending upon the size of the company, this is much easier. Smaller companies have a better ability to do this. But, you know, you can have everybody spend a shift on the customer support role, sitting either actually taking a call or shadowing somebody to learn. This is what people are saying about us. And hopefully it's pretty good. We're here to help, not here to constantly resolve complaints. One of the things, and I've been writing about this for a long time, 1988, I wrote my first book called Moments of Magic. And in the book, I talked about Anheuser-Busch executives who once a quarter had to actually go and drive around with a, either a salesman or sit in a beer truck and do deliveries just to make sure they had a a grasp on what was happening out in the marketplace, in the real world. Because oftentimes, and especially in larger companies, that C-suite sits up there in their cushy offices, making decisions, looking at data and interpreting the data based on a bias, what they hope that we're giving. And we need to go there and we need to hear in real time, this is what our customers want and expect from us. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, you, I saw a newsletter that you released and it talked about learning how to say yes versus no. I thought that was really fascinating. I love that idea. Walk me through that because I know, it's, you know for some, it's great salespeople or something. They're always trying to do that. But from a customer service side, you know, how do you approach that? So, I mean, okay. So there were two books written, very close title. Christine Trippi wrote one of these books called Yes is the Answer. And the other gentleman, oh gosh, he, he's a restaurateur out of Ohio. Can't believe I'm drawing a blank on his name. But you can look up the book. It's called Yes is, you can go to Amazon. Yes is the answer. What's the question? Okay. Mm-hmm. By the way, while you're there, look up, I'll be back. <laughs> Shameless <laughs> plug. You should type in I'll be back book because then you actually might get my book. Otherwise you'll get a lot of, well, there was a, a, a our most recent president has a lot of I'll be back <laughs> in there. So not to get political, but, and, then, and by the way, if that's who you want to vote for, fine, that, that's what America's about. But I digress. So the concept of yes is the answer doesn't mean yes is always the answer. What it really means, and this is how I interpret it, yes may not be the answer, but no is definitely not the answer. Unless it's immoral, illegal, it's something that's impossible. By the way, we get called, if you look up customer service speaker on Google, ideally, my name's going to pop up at the top or toward the top as a professional keynote speaker that goes to events. But every once in a while, we get a call that says, hey, I've got a, a JBL speaker. I've got, you know, whatever a, a, a stereo speaker's name is. And I've got a question about if you can send me a new one or sell me. And, and the answer to that is no, I can't. 
<laughs> but that's because I don't do that. But you know what we do in that place? We don't just say no and hang up the phone. We listen to what they're asking for and we actually tell them where they need to go. And we direct them to the right place, which is the company that they want to talk to because we're not that company. But aside from illegal, immoral, and it's just something you don't do, you don't have to say no. You can find alternatives. And the example I use in the article that you specifically are talking about, and by the way, anybody that wants these articles, go to my website, hyken.com, H-Y-K-E-N.com. Scroll down to the bottom of that homepage and you'll see there's an opportunity to sign up for my most recent research. No charge for this whatsoever. And that automatically puts you in my weekly email newsletter, which is truly something that you would, it's, it's, it's content. That's all it is. It's very little promotion. There's always an article and the article you're referring to is about how not to say no. So Christine had a great example. She is one of the top, or was, she's now out on her own consulting, one of the top managers in a hotel, award-winning managers. And she says, let's say some, and I put her on the spot. I said, and, and I have a podcast and I asked her on, on the show, I go, let's say that you are running a hotel, you answer the phone and the customer's at the airport and says, can I get a shuttle to your hotel? Can, can you send your shuttle? And you don't have a shuttle. You can't say, I mean, do you just say, no, we don't have that? What do you do? And she goes, no, you don't say no, 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 never say no. You say, let me give you the three options you have to get to Hart Hotel. So you, you're basically through the options implying that the one that they're asking for is not the one that you provide. The options were, there's a cab, you can call an Uber, or we will be happy to call a private car for you if that's what you would like. Those are your options for getting. And then you've now given information instead of having to say no. I, I also use the example in that article about my shoes that I love, my workout shoes, my running shoes, workout shoes, and they discontinued the model. And the salesperson said, I want you to try these on and tell me what you think. And if you're not happy, you can bring them back. Completely different type of shoe did what it was supposed to do. And when I was done, guess what my new favorite shoe was? <laughs> that one, you know? I thought, there's no way they're going to get me to love this. Well, they did because they didn't say, no, I'm sorry, we don't have that. I hope you have a nice day. Mm, providing options, that's great. And I guess sometimes the more creative, the more appreciative, right? Even if, even if it's not something that they ultimately decide on. Right. I mean, it's, you, you do. And I know we have all types of businesses listening to this, but I remember when we were doing a construction project a while back and I had a budget I was trying to stay within. And based on the architect's plans, there was no way we were going to stay in this budget. And the one builder who we just loved said, you know, was totally truthful about it. Can I, can I send one of my people out to do some measurements and, and give you some alternative plans? Wow. You know, we should have gone to this person first and forgot about the architect who was designing the plans, would have saved some money there. But that, you know, think about how that works. I'm sorry, we can't help you out versus let me give you the options. And, and I go back to that statement again. Yeah, wonderful. Now, you've written so many of these books. The question is, how many more do you have in you? Great <laughs> question. So, so this one, I'll be back as number eight. We yeah. have another one in the works that is fun. If you get my weekly newsletter, there's uh, cartoons in every newsletter and I create those cartoons. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, I don't know if you, yeah. And, and they're fun cartoons. Some of them are, some of them are funny and some just kind of 
give a kind of a fun depiction of what the article is about. But what I'm doing is I'm creating, I'm taking 52 of my favorites and I, th- I have hundreds of them now since I've been doing it for probably seven years now, every single week. So I probably have a volume two, three, and four that will eventually come out. But right now, 52 of my favorites, where on the left side is the lesson and the right side is the cartoon. 52 of them meant that once a week, you can have a meeting, share the cartoon, and then talk about it. That will probably be about a year and a half or so from now. But that's what I'm working on. But who knows if my publisher says, Shep, you know, I like that idea, but We need something more meaty, although I think that is going to be very meaty, even though they're short tips, it'll be tons of meat, but I hate whatever, you know, it's not so much. And in the, this book, I say nothing's new in customer service and the, I'll be back. It's like, what's new? Nothing's new. You start off where I have a problem. I have a question. I have a need. Maybe I'm calling you because I want to buy your product, whatever. At the end of the interaction, whatever it is. What's the goal? We want the customer walking away going, I'll be back, right? I'm happy. And nothing has changed in decades since the beginning of the concept of service and experience. Now, there is something that has changed. Okay, by the way, nothing's changed from what I just mentioned. What has changed is sometimes what happens in the middle. We didn't have technology. We didn't even have internet, what, 20, 25 years ago. I don't know how long it's been since We didn't have computers prior to the 1980s that most of us could use, right? So what's changed is technology allows us to get to the I'm happy, I'll be back answer in a different way, sometimes much quicker. And I think we need to take advantage of those tools in the right way to make sure it happens. So digital tools are out there. We never had self-service concepts. We never had the ability to go onto a website and look at a knowledge base to have her questions answered without having to call and possibly be put on hold, authenticated to make sure it's us, only to ask a simple question that we could get from a website or from an online chat of sorts. So in the sense, some of the methodology has changed, but the, the basics are there. It's foundational. I need a question answered. I've got a problem. I want to be, I want to get to the end quick and I want to be happy with what happens at the end. Yeah, interesting. Now, I've learned a lot with this second episode and the first one. I've learned a lot about your background. And I feel like you weave your personal interests, your professional interests together in a very unique and interesting experience. Is that intentional or is that just something that just just happened very uh, naturally? Well, thank you very much. And I'm not sure exactly what I know when I get on stage, I'm a certain way when I'm asked to speak at an event. As we chat here, I tell stories. I, I hopefully people will find this to be informative and also a little bit entertaining too. And that's hopefully coming through. But I think, and I'll take what you're saying as a great compliment because what you hear and what you see, whether I'm on stage or whether we're talking in this podcast or whether we're on the telephone or whether we meet in person, I'm not going to be any different, you know, it's, uh, ideally you've seen me. So I'm not going to surprise you with this charming, good looks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hardly. Okay. I'm being sarcastic, but seriously, I hope that I meet the expectation and people say, you know, that's the guy that's, that's, he sounds just like he talks. He does just like he says, that's, that's authenticity. I think that's extremely important. Wonderful. Yeah. I was referring to you writing the, the comics. You know, you're writing oh, yeah. the content, your 
magic background in performing and how you bring that all together in one package. It seems uh, very nice. I, some people have very separate personal interests, but you kind of pull those together and, yeah. and it's part of your- I'm very uh, lucky to do that. Yeah. By, by the way, when I, so I'll share some personal thoughts. When I was a kid, age, I'm going to say 13, 14, my idol was a guy named Johnny Carson, late night TV, host of The Tonight Show. And I'm going to tell you why. I started a business when I was 12, and we probably talked about this on the first episode where I did magic shows. And I did magic not only for birthday parties growing up, but eventually I did private events for corporations, some of the greatest companies of all. And I did, I worked in nightclubs in high school and college doing comedy and magic. And yes, some of that finds its way, my humor, my way of delivery, that was all, that's great. The cartoons are my creativity. So why Johnny Carson? Mm -hmm. Number one, I loved his monologue. And my mom and dad actually let me stay up and watch the monologue. It, my time, 1030 at night here in the Midwest, well past most kids' bedtime, even on a school night, right? But they knew how interested I was for two reasons. One, I want to be an entertainer. But two, I'd read about Johnny Carson's left brain and right brain. I didn't know that's mm -hmm. what it was, the analytical and the creativity coming together. He was one of the few entertainers that his schedule was in the morning, I talk to sponsors, I do business, I make sales calls to get sponsors mm -hmm. to endorse my show, which I don't know if that's the way TV worked way back then. But whenever you heard him talking in the middle of the show to Ed McMahon, say, hey, let's talk about Alpo dog food, which was one of his sponsors. <laughs> he, would, he would talk about it. And so he said, my job in the morning is the business of my show. My job in the afternoon is to sit down with the writers, come up with the comedy. And then at 5 or 5.30 in the afternoon, that's when he would do his show, which was taped that day to be aired that evening. So he, unless something happened in the next few hours, he was pretty much right up to date with current events. But what I loved about it as he had business at one level and, and creativity and show business on the other level. And he used to say, show business is two words. It's show and it's business. And he put them together and he did it beautifully, which is why he was one of my idols growing up. And I don't necessarily love the fact that he was reclusive and nobody could get to him. And people might call him a snob as you read about him and his biographies. Yeah, he had some drinking issues and everything, but he was very introverted. Many times entertainers, you see them, you think because they're out there on stage. No, but they're, that's what they do for a living. And they found something they love. And then they want to go and retreat and be very private. That's what he was. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that story. That, that makes sense at both ends of it. So anything that I did not ask, anything that you want to mention about your book, Closing This Out? Well, gosh, I'll hold it up again in case yeah. you're watching this and not listening to, to it. I'll be back. How to get customers to come back and again, again and again. You can go to I'llBeBackBook.com. If you haven't gotten the book yet, you can watch some video about it. I actually share some ideas on I'llBeBackBook.com. By the way, there's no apostrophe in a website. So it looks like IllBeBackBook.com. Make sure you put book in there. Otherwise, you either get, uh, you could get an Arnold Schwarzenegger line about I'll Be Back. Which, by the way, I talk about Arnie in the book, and you can see from the font on the cover, I'll Be Back has a little Terminator feel to it. A couple of really important things, and I want to leave you with heavy content so that you say, wow, I got really a great idea. In the book, I talk about terminators, why customers would terminate you, and I give you the reasons why, 10 big reasons. There's more than that, but 
We can go on on three reasons why you would terminate your customers. Why wouldn't you want to do business with them again? And I mean, really, it's about this is not the right fit. They're not nice to my people. They're belligerent. They, they're just not the kind of people. And, and when you stand up for your people, that says a lot. But the final chapter where the rubber meets the road, there are, it's a, there's a six-step process on how to differentiate yourself from the competition. I want to give you some insights on this. Number one, you should ask yourself, why me? instead of them? Why should a customer buy from me? What do I do differently? Number two, ask the same question, but about your competitors. Why would they buy from them? What is the competition doing that I'm not? Number three, look at what the differences are. And then I call it keeping pace. Take what they're doing that's different that, that you should be doing and do not copy it. That makes you a commodity. Make it your own some way. So there's your first three steps. Number four, now, and by the way, you should do this not by yourself, but with other people so you can brainstorm and talk and get synergy. Number four, ask yourself outside of the industry, pick your favorite companies you love to do business with. Somebody might say, I love Amazon. Okay, great. Well, we may not even be in the e-commerce business, but what do you like about Amazon? And what do you like about that restaurant down the street that you say says is your favorite business of all? Is it a manufacturer that has an inside sales rep that you love? Why do you love him or her? Write all of these things down, make a huge list and then say, are we doing any of this? And that's great. You should feel good if you are. And are we not, but we could be similar to the, looking at the competition. Now you're looking outside your industry and you have this opportunity to improve on things that your competitor might not even be thinking about. And so that step five is to start to implement those ideas. And step six is to go back and say, now that we've done that whole process, and this takes time. You know, the final step is like, now why would somebody want to do business with us? You go back to the same question you asked at the beginning. And you have this great process about making people want to come back to you, differentiating yourself from the competition. So that is like the 60-second or 90-second version of the what I think is one of the most powerful chapters of any book I've ever written. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Shaka, as always, thank you for uh, sharing your wisdom. My pleasure. Thanks for having me back. And I hope that I'll be back if you'll let me. <laughs> always, Chef. But we always have time for you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes, entrepreneurial tips, and more. See you over there. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.